0: I think at the end of the day when you have consultancy it's it's expertise but it's also the person behind the expertise which is myself and I think as a person I am compassionate in a way where when I work with my clients I feel personally responsible for their success as well so I really try to integrate myself with the clients not just I'm just doing a job and that's it right so no I am part of your team I'm an extension. Your success is very important to me as well. This is Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast,
1: here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing, stop guessing.
2: If you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential, this podcast is for you. I'm Danny Wasserman.
1: And I'm Karina Owens, coming to you from the Gong Studios.
2: Well, friends, here we are again, but this time with a brand new Reveal episode, yes, And this episode, it's not just any normal episode. It's a special one. Why is that? It's because we're bringing out the boss lady. Oh yeah, the optimistic entrepreneur, the one and the only, Catherine Mendangu, to talk all things sports? No. All things Bravo TV? No. All things food? I wish. No. On this episode with Catherine, we are talking all things RevOps. Guys. Let me tell this to you. Straight up, Catherine knows how to inspire and motivate. She's the founder of Think RevOps, which is a leading revenue operations consultancy in the tech and SaaS space. Here's their mission. Empower businesses to create the most impact in their customer journey and achieve, ready? Repeatability, predictability, and last but not least, growth. She's also been recognized as one of the UK's top female entrepreneurs by The Telegraph. Yep, read it. Now, Wes, crazy mic drop moment for Miss Catherine. So in today's episode, Catherine Karina dives deep into the concept of RevOps, oftentimes misunderstood. And what this episode does is it helps demystify how you can create measurable business objectives through developing key KPIs that measure your success, as well as the significance of centralizing data, seeking new skill sets, and of course, striving as always to improve. Without further ado, who's got two thumbs up? And is really Jazz. So learn more about RevOps. It's this guy. Let's dive in.
1: Welcome, revealed listeners. I am thrilled today to have yet another female founder. This lady is a powerhouse. Her name is Catherine Mandungu, and she is the CEO and founder of Think RevOps. This is a revenue operations consultancy that helps businesses and revenue leaders achieve growth, agility, and competitive advantages by bridging the data and buyer journey challenges to transform the revenue operations to ensure alignment and optimization and focus. And to put just even more of a crown on the lady in front of us today, she was recently named the top 100 female entrepreneurs to watch in the UK. Catherine, welcome to Reveal. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, first off, I am thrilled to have you on here. Just the fact that globally, one of the last reports I read only 21% of startups have at least one female founder. So you being the founder is quite an impressive stat, globally. And I hope you take that with you and take many moments throughout your day to acknowledge what an accomplishment that is. But you've also been at huge organizations like Microsoft, IBM, and Amazon and Adobe. So what made you want to step out of the corporate arena and make your own company? What drove that for you?
0: Yeah. I've always wanted to have my own company actually. So as long as I can remember, I knew I was going to start something. I just didn't know what it was going to be. Right. So after working with those large organizations, I left and actually went to work for startups. This is where I really started to have that hunger and drive for actually I could have my own thing, but yet I still had no clue what that was going to be. And I didn't really think about doing revenue operations. It took- Right, as a business. Yeah. I literally looked at all different avenues. And then it kind of just hit me because I had over ten years of experience at that moment. And I was good at what I was doing. I enjoyed what I was doing. And I thought actually, hmm, maybe I can do this on my own. Right. And then I just decided to, you know, deep dive into it and Here we are. Well, that is
1: quite a leap of faith. And I actually think it's one that we're finding more and more individuals take this more entrepreneurial mindset. And I do think that it comes from seeing it and being in companies for so long and just realizing, like, really wanting to own all that hard work that you put into something. But it's that fear factor, right? It's taking that leap of faith. Can you share with us what was kind of that tipping point, if you will, that made you take that giant leap? What made you just go for it and realize that this is something that you could try and do no matter how scary it may have seemed at the time?
0: Actually, that final year, so it was 2019. That was my final year working with a startup in the UK at that time. And it was a tough year in terms of how I personally felt on the job, about myself, in the role. And I was enjoying what I do less which had nothing to do with the role, had more to do with myself in terms of where I was in life. So I was having anxieties. I had probably had depression as well at some point. And it was something that I knew that I identified that I had and I had to overcome. And the question was, how do I overcome it? I mean, why am I feeling the way I'm feeling? So I was lucky enough to actually meet someone who was a coach. I mean, it was just a short series of conversations, but through her Having her as a sounding board, I kind of found the answer myself, which was, well, the answer wasn't start a business. The answer was, I should leave the place I am right now because I know that's not right for me, right? And then after mm. that, let's just see, let's yeah. figure it out. So that was kind of the catalyst of me kind of going away from working for someone and then figuring out exactly what I wanted. And as I was kind of taking that break, right, I was... Again, I think lucky enough because I had someone who reached out to me and said, hey, I have this project. I know you're in between jobs. I'd like for you to look at this. And that's when I thought, hmm, it's only a four day project, but maybe I can do this. Maybe I can make something out of this because it was one of the happiest moments, right? I was doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. I was being my own boss. It was a little project, but I was enjoying what I do again. And at that moment I thought, well, let's go for Mm -hmm. it not turning back. I love that. And it was
1: RevOps. This was the job, the four-day job. Oh yeah. I've been in revenue operations for what, 15 years now. So I love this intersection of, it wasn't the thing that you were doing. It just, you know, we won't get into all the specifics because those are private and personal, but I love that your clear understanding in art and craft and talent of the discipline of RevOps brought you back to RevOps, but in a way that was your own and you could control the outcome and you could feel good about your work and honor that work. That's a beautiful story. And I hope listeners really take that in and resonate that even if something has lost your you used to feel passionate about that discipline. Yeah. This is certainly an inspirational story. So thank you for sharing that with us. I want to dive into RevOps with you and get your take on this. You had an interview with Customer Think where they kind of dove into what does RevOps actually mean, right? I think for some, maybe even more enterprise level organizations, that it still might be nebulous. Maybe even for startups, RevOps is nebulous. So across the spectrum. But you quoted saying that it's about breaking down silos and creating a cohesive approach to revenue generation. By bringing together sales, marketing, and customer success, you can create a seamless experience for your customers. I love this answer. It's actually quite similar to how I answer of what account-based marketing or account-based experience should be. And I involve ops in that, right? Like it's a crucial yeah. element. So what makes Think RevOps different than maybe another consultancy that somebody might look to hire or outsource for, for rev operations, revenue operations? Look, I
0: can't talk for other consultancies, right? So what I can tell you is just about me as an individual but also as an expertise in the role. One, I'm, let's start with expertise, right? So I have had those 15 years of experience and as edu- RebOps the term hasn't actually been around for 15 years, right? So that is kind of the latest philosophy, the <laughs> <Right. first, laughs> which is hype. But for all intents and purposes, I've done RevOps for all those years because I've been, and I have been working in different areas of RevOps, right? Marketing up, sales up, CS up. I even done IT support. <laughs> In my experience and so I have the benefit of having the experience of actually doing those jobs in silos and understanding them and then slowly kind of moving towards a place where when I got into my sales ops role it it started evolving more to not just being sales ops because sales ops is kind of thought of as it is an operational role to support the sales team but actually what you should really think is an operational role to support the sales organization because the organization is selling a product or a service. So, in fact, if you're looking at sales organization, you're looking at the entire customer journey. And I've been pretty much doing that right before the term "reps" came along. So, I believe, right. yeah, that's kind of my USB, right? Because there is not a lot of reps people out there that have done across the board that experience of being support, they being CS or CS ops or sales ops or marketing ops, right? So usually maybe one or one two of those for, for items. So that's kind of my USP and I understand that. But also on top of kind of understanding that full customer journey, I've been in the tech industry for a long time as well, and I've worked both enterprise as well as startups. So actually I can bring those best practices from enterprise into the startup and scale up world, right? And I think as a person, I think at the end of the day, when you have consultancy, it's the expertise, but it's also the person behind the expertise, which is myself. And I think as a person, I am compassionate in a way where when I work with my clients, I feel personally responsible for their success as well. So I really try to integrate myself with the clients. not just, I'm just doing a job and that's it, right? So no, I am part of your team. I'm an extension your success is very important to me as well so yeah that's exactly how i describe
1: account-based marketing is we're an extension of the deal team and so it's important that i can't just be measured off of my goal there's a shared goal and that clearly sounds like how you're describing it right like yeah. it is not just the goal of the company you are putting it upon yourself when you enter these businesses that this is a shared goal and a shared mission yeah. but to your point too you spoke a bit on data now You also have experiences you shared with startups and enterprise-level companies. Those two types of sets of companies are likely focusing on, when you're looking at the customer journey, very different data points. What would be your recommendation for those in startup to first look at for data points if you're in RevOps versus what you should be looking at in enterprise?
0: Right. So that's an interesting question. And there is a lot of KPI metrics out there, right? Right. And I think, in fact, most businesses have a challenge of understanding which KPI to choose. So, for anyone to ask which KPIs are mostly important, I mean, I can probably give you some standard ones, right? Let's start with that. So, some standard ones: businesses, up, things like CAC, LTV, what is my MRR, right? You no, know, anything around your user engagement or product engagement, if you like, around customer satisfaction, right? Probably also your margins are very important to keep an eye on, right? So those are really Mm -hmm. important things that you need to look at. And then outside of that, you have other metrics such as conversions, you have your velocity, you have what's your average order value. So you have all of that. And then there's so much more because there's so many variations of these. And you Mm -hmm. can't really answer the question until you understand the business, I always say, right? because most of these companies, they just think that actually I can just go online or I can speak to these people and they tell me, these are important APIs, right? And some of them will be important, but actually it's about you first understanding your business. Why are you selling a product or a service in the first place? Why did you choose this business model? Why is your customer journey your customer journey today? What is important to you? What are your goals, first of all, right? And then the flip side of that is understanding What do I need or what is important for us to measure to understand the performance of our business objective, right? And at that point, you kind of go into a place where you're looking at, okay, I know my business objectives. What are my data-driven objectives that go along with it, right? Right. And this could be different. It could be different to different companies and could be different because of a different stage. Like you said, enterprise versus startup can be different, right? But also within the startup lifecycle, this could be different, right? So, a startup who is very early on might not even care so much about what is my churn rate. I'm just trying to acquire customers first, right? So, right. that's why you need to look at it,
2: right? Focusing on data points is key. Why? Well, data driven sales allows you to customize your sales approach to increase conversion rates. A study from McKinsey shows that 80% of people want to personalize shopping experience, or truly included. This is where data points play a role. Data-driven sales leverages consumer information so your sales teams can produce customized content for each customer during the sales process. This personalization then improves the customer experience, which ultimately leads to, you guessed it, more sales. Okay, I've said about as much as I need to say on this topic, so let's go back to the expert herself, the female powerhouse, Catherine, and hear more.
1: Yeah, no, it's an excellent point. And I think one that most of our listeners are definitely focusing on, if they aren't, they should be, is if you're not just starting out today, you likely have a NRR. And for our listeners, that's net revenue retention, which leads to making sure you don't have churn, right? But I think that's very much a top-down deliverable, right? That has to be a company-wide objective and you have to make sure that all these different teams are unified around that one goal, and then you can cascade the different ways that you can collect that data, improve upon that data, engage with that data, but you have to understand that those are things that are important to measure. Have you found that, there have? can you share any personal stories of leaders that really were just blown away by the data gaps that they didn't realize even existed in their own organization? (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure there's many. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> and how did you? He, how did you look to? <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> how did oh, you look I, to uh, address that?
0: Yeah, I love that question because it's it's not. Oh, let me think. <laughs> that's literally <laughs> right, every, right, right, right. Just out there has that same problem. They always have data issues, right? And and actually, the fact that they have data issues. I think it stems back also from the whole topic around creating a data strategy or I call it a data commercialization strategy, right? And, okay, and what does data commercialization actually mean, right? So, yeah, let's dive into at that. Yeah, I don't know if people know data monetization. Data monetization just means how can you monetize data, right? But you can do it in two ways. You can do it externally, which means that you're actually selling data, right? Maybe thinking of companies like ZoomInfo, Cognizam, et cetera, they are actually selling data. other They're in the direct, in the most direct form, you're selling the data, but you also have the internal monetization, which is that data commercialization, which is I'm using data, my internal data or insights even to kind of generate value, right? So by either I can cut costs, right? Or I can grow revenue, right? So that's what it means now. I think it's important mm-hmm. to talk about that because that changes the narrative around data, because if you just think about data, removing the monetization, removing the commercialization, then it's always such an afterthought, right? After you set up your business strategies, then it's like, okay, Oxteam, what is our data? How can we measure our KPIs, you know? <laughs> and then we have to be like, da we can get it, but we can't because... At this point, we haven't had a clear and solid strategy around what KPIs, how do we define KPIs? Do we have a clear definition around the business about on that? Do we understand our gaps in terms of how we can access these KPIs because we're missing data points? Do we have a plan to fill these gaps at all? Do we know our capabilities? What is our data infrastructures, right? How do we get data sources in, but then also sort of data points in, but then also, how do we actually transform, digest, and then transform the data? Do we have even analytical tools, intelligence tool to help us do that, right? So you need to have mm-hmm. the strategy from the get-go, which allows you to be in a much better place. Because the thing is, most businesses will always have some data problems. But you can not necessarily prevent them entirely, but you can definitely be more than halfway there if, if you had a data strategy, right? A 100%. And I love the way you describe
1: that. And it's going to be very helpful for our listeners and myself included, because I think if 2020 t- taught us anything, all of these companies that were in hyper growth mode, if they didn't have what you just described in place, it's just a snowball effect, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like the data issues, the customer life cycle, like things are just going to compound and compound and compound and compound. And it's going to be really hard to crawl your way out of that. I mean, it really does take a leader to have to be like, okay, we need to stop this grow at all cost mentality and really look at, can I even answer this data question in under a minute? Or, or do I need yeah. to go make 50 Slack recommendations, 50 ops recommendation or tickets? Do you, do you find that most of your clients today, because I think the last three years have taught organizations and category creators and new businesses quite a lot. Do you find yourself more on the end of having to come in and fix or do you find yourself more on the end of having to come in and build this data strategy that you described? Definitely
0: fix, unfortunately. But like I said, okay. it's because most businesses don't really think about it, right? They don't think, oh, we need to have a data strategy in place or a data commercialization strategies right. to be exact. So often I have to come in and fix and then we try to have an attempt on really implementing some sort of strategy around it. And not to say that you can't do it after the fact, right? right? Because it's never too late, right? But it just depends on Agreed. it just depends. the timeline of the state data strategy to take effect depend on how early on you're into it versus how late right. you're into it, right? Because if you think about it, a large organization who at this point has accumulated a lot of complex processes, lots of data, Putting this data strategy together, one is going to be all encompassing, but it's also going to take you a much longer time in terms of the roadmap to really implement it properly. So, um, 100%. but it's not too late. I just think that whomever is in that place, right? It's now is the time, not later, right? It's today. No, yes. Yeah, it's today.
1: I love that you said that you ended it that way. You can't wait. You simply must make this like mission critical to rethink the structuring your data around your company this way so you can make sure that you prevent insurance so you can continue to re- gain net new logos and actually set yourself up for success yeah. with future investors and yeah, longevity. So I, Catherine, when we, before we started recording, you told me you're in Thailand. You are obviously taking off quite a bit as we're in these economic headwinds that just seem to be, we get new news every single day. What have been some of the strategies that you have found that you've implemented that may be some like quick wins for people to consider when looking to approach RevOps and reconfiguring their data
0: strategy at their company? So okay, there's a few quick ones that you can look at, right? And I think, and I've mentioned a few steps earlier, right? Is you can quite quickly just kind of revisit. I mean, most companies, they should have some sort of OKRs in place, right? So you should have some sort of business objective already, which is great, right? Now it's kind of going back to business objectives and just rethinking exactly what you need from a KPI standpoint to be able to measure them and look at it from an MVP perspective, right? Because what I mean by that is because again, there's so much insights out there. There's so much metrics, so so many KPIs. You can't always do all of it because that's why we have, we call data paralysis. You also have insights paralysis or KPI paralysis, right? (laughs) So you should try and look at what's the MVP. Because sometimes you just have to kind of pull back, right? If you have too many things going on, pull back. What's your MVP that allows you to do three things in the business, right? It's one, you have visibility on the performance end to end. Two, you understand the why. You can answer the why, right? So why is something down? Why is something up? You can understand that. Three, it's your compass, meaning that it's the so what. Can you answer the so what? Because if you know the data, then but well, what do you do with it? What, you know, so what is your compass because it can direct you or redirect you, right? So you just have to look at that. Those are the first steps. And then once you got that, you have your MVP KPIs, then put a plan together for, so how, as a business, how do I get to a place where I'm absolutely able to access these APIs, these metrics, the quicker, the better, right? So which is looking at your capability, right? And fill in those gaps, get the right technologies if you must. Hire the right people sometimes, right? Because sometimes you just need the right skills and put a governance strategy in place. Just a procedure to have governance around someone Mm -hmm. who can centralize that and own it and coordinate. And because things change all the time, right? Business priorities change, the life cycle change, the opportunities come, right? Have someone internally who can just really be govern this and centralize this entire process. And every six months, just review, right? Get everyone on the table, the leadership team, and review it together. Yeah. And we'll make the decision and go from there.
1: I love that you mentioned that governance part of it because I think that oftentimes there's people that have the right intention, but there's just too many cooks in the kitchen. And there while well, there does seem to be visibility and buy-in across leaderships and different functions, there should be, I think to your point, one person that owns the centralization of where is all this data stored? How are we getting these inputs in? How are we measuring them? Are they effective, et cetera? I wanted to talk to you a little bit about talent, since you brought that up as well, right? It's not just tools and technology; it's talent and skill set. We've been definitely seeing a shift in sales, and then last year of uh, different types of backgrounds coming into the organization. So. Many enablement or sales professional ICs like quota carriers have been teachers previously. That used to be my story. And that's becoming a big trend again. But I think that we're also going to be seeing a kind of trend of different professional or skill sets that enter into RevOps. Because as you said, this is still a relatively new way to describe this function and way of doing business. What would you say some of the key characteristics that are that you look out for or traits that you look out for for somebody that would be equipped to either govern this data or identify the right gaps that are missing from some of the main KPIs that we've been talking about?
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, first of all, overall in RevOps, some of the characteristics that you should have, I mean, it's variation, right? I mean, if you think about RevOps, it's quite big, right? So we're talking about process data people and technology, right? So, and I can appreciate that not everyone is necessarily great at everything to start with, but you know, you can learn a lot of this, right? So I think one of the traits you should have as a person is one, you need to have the eye for detail. You need to be able to see things in terms of the grand picture as well. I think that's very important as well as being able to narrow down and really see the detail and get down to business and get your hands dirty, right? Not to the strategic view. I think that's Mm -hmm. very important as well. And I think you need to be someone who can quite quickly understand Mm -hmm. what the business exactly look like and how it works operationally, right? Because even if we're just talking about someone who would have the role to govern the data or the aspect of kind of the data commercialization strategy, it is so ingrained into your business and your business strategy. You need to be able to understand that. Because earlier I just said, if you have a business objective, you should have a data-driven objective as well. So you need to be able to understand business objective, right? It's very important. You can't go around this. So unfortunately, right, if you are going to get into a role of governance in that organization, mm-hmm. you should have that experience, really. It should be really someone who... Has really done rev ops for a little while, to, if not rev ops, some other operational role, or has been in business and understand the business model, understand the customer journey, right, and understand KPIs that a business needs to be able to measure. So, yeah,
1: yeah, no, that was a beautiful answer, and I think you had like a, I had a little clap for you there about the. There was a mic drop moment almost of. When you're putting in that business objective, you need to put in that data objective, like right alongside it. Like, how are we we going to measure and then track it? That for me is what I, in my career, because I have, I've also done the startup and the enterprise land and on both ends, I've seen that lack so often. And then it's just, you're unable to hit those objectives because you're unable to, you haven't set yourself up for success to even measure the objectives. So I really appreciate that, that moment there. Well, Catherine, I just want to congratulate you on all your success and taking a leap of faith that most people in this world don't do, which is to go out on their own and bring their onlyness into the world and their unique capabilities and make a living out of it and enjoy doing it. So bravo to you on that. I encourage everybody to check out your profile and think RevOps, the business that you created. So I'm very glad that you found your way back to your passion. And I really do think this, is for, this episode will be very inspirational for others.
0: Thank you. And I really thank you for having me. I had a lot of fun talking to you for sure. So hopefully we'll talk some more after.
1: Oh, definitely. Okay. Before I let you off the hook, there's one question that I did not run by you. Okay. And it's a question we ask all of our listeners. It's a little bit of a thinker. You can absolutely take your time on it. The question is, if you were to describe sales in one word, what one word would that be? Sales.
0: Entrepreneur. Tell me more. So for me, I've always thought about sales as an entrepreneur. It's almost like an intrapreneur even, right? In an organization. Because they need to have that mindset almost, right? right? Because they need to look at... Right. What are my accounts? What are my contacts? I mean, first of all, they have their target, right? They have this target that they need to fulfill. And the way they're going to go about this target, they're kind of free to do so, right? (laughs) They need to be as creative. They need to be as, they need to have grit, right? To be able to get there. They need to have a strong mindset. I mean, it's a mental, it's like one of the toughest mental capacity. Actually, my sister is in sales and I've seen her doing sales and it's tough, right? Yes. Yeah, That's so, why I got out. <laughs> it is tough. It's very tough. And I really commend people doing that. I mean, I've done some sales myself as well before I got into ops. And yes, you have to think like an intre- like an entrepreneur, like an entrepreneur when you're in a business, right? Because you do have the capacity to kind of create your fate as well between in that organization in terms of how you excel in, which is very much linked to how much revenue or money you can get yourself. Right. And so it's very different from some of the other roles or operational roles that I've been doing. So yeah, so my word would definitely be entrepreneur or entrepreneur for sales. I think they're definitely, yeah, and people there I definitely admire, right? So you need to be a tough cookie <laughs> to go through that.
1: I agree with you. And I think that's a beautiful answer and a beautiful way to wrap up exactly who you are. So Catherine, thank you again so much for joining the show. From Thailand, of all places, at a crazy hour. I won't broadcast, but thank you so much. It is our honor to have you on the show. and We hope to be lifelong friends and have you back anytime.
0: Thank you so much.
2: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, head on over to gong.io. And if you like what you heard, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.